Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to my Weirdest Experience podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we can discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you'd like to be on the show, you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Today, I have a wonderful soul on the show called Kelly Butterfly. She is the manager of Rainbow Butterfly Publications, the Children of Earth Coalition, and the Sasquatch Family Reunion and related events. She's also an artist and a rainbow Reiki practitioner, a psychic clairvoyant, and a freelance marketing specialist. And in addition, she's also co-authored quite a few books on Sasquatch. So Kelly, would you like to share anything else about yourself before you begin your story? Yeah, sure thing. Well, I've I've got, um, you know, many fires in the poker, or I'm sorry, many pokers in the fire. So, um, you know, there's lots of different things that I'm involved in, but, um, you know, mostly the things that you've mentioned there are some of the newer, newest endeavors um, that I'm working with right now. So um, the Children of Earth Coalition is kind of the uh, umbrella name, um, the uh, entity that would be uh, hosting all of these different events uh, and things that we do. So, um, and I'm in Colville, Washington, so I also have a location there where, uh, you know, I, I offer uh, healing sessions and readings and things like that. Uh, but we're also really building a large community here. Um, there's a, a wonderful circle of local people as well as people throughout the whole world, really, um, that get involved with some of the events that we have, both um, local physically events and we have online events um, and then other like intenders of um, the highest good meetings that we have. So there, there's many different things that we're involved in. Um, and so you might just kind of hear a, about the Children of Earth Coalition hosting all of that. And the, and the idea, the reason um, for that name is just because, well, we are all children of the earth. And so um, basically it's an organization for everybody um, to be mindful and respectful and to live in harmony, to work with nature, uh, to return to the old ways. And so that's really like my biggest focus in this lifetime um, and helping to, to lead others to that truth. And so um, a part of that, like you mentioned the, the books that I've helped um, to publish and co-author, uh, those are the Sasquatch Message to Humanity series. Um, and there is more in the works, but it's just a little bit more slow going with that right now, um, compiling a lot of d different data. Um, but in 2015, so this was a, a weird experience in itself. Um, my husband uh, was also the, the author of a couple different Sasquatch books. And so we were 
uh, very involved in, um, well, promoting that kind of material and sharing what the Sasquatch are truly all about, that they're uh, a sentient nature being, that they're, um, you know, almost human-like, that they're not just animals or, or creatures, that they're really a people. Um, the way that they live can be uh, kind of compared to like how the Native Americans live in their tribes and their clans. Um, they use all of the resources from Earth that are available to them. And they're also uh, very psychic and they have many different gifts. Um, a, a, they're at a different level of consciousness than humans are. And they have a lot that they'd really like to share with us to help us to evolve and help us to be more respectful of each other and of all the beings on the earth and to, to live in a more um, conscious and harmonious way um, with others and, and with the planet. And so, um, you know, sharing all of that, um, there, there's a lot of people that understood, um, they understand that concept, but a lot of people have a hard time really ha wrapping their, their head around the idea that the Sasquatch are able to communicate with us and that they're not just, you know, um, monsters living in the forest. Um, but I connected in 2015 with Sunbow, Sunbow True Brother, who is the author of the first two Sasquatch Message to Humanity books. And I just randomly came across him uh, on Facebook, which was also a pretty um, conspicuous day that that happened. It was um, a, a solar eclipse or was it a lunar eclipse? I apologize and I can't remember, but there, there was a lot of planetary activity. I believe it was a full moon. Um, anyway, so there, there was just a lot of effort from the universe, it seemed also, to be sure that, that we were able to connect. Um, and I found a message that he had transcribed from a Sasquatch elder that he was in communication with. And that message, which was actually um, the seventh chapter in the first Sasquatch Message to Humanity book. And so that's the first passage that I read from Sunbow. And once I read that, um, actually, I wasn't even really a sentence into it when I realized that, oh, you know, like, oh, my gosh, this is family. This is one of our people. This is somebody that genuinely has the same kind of relationship with the Sasquatch that we do, you know, a great ally. So um, I connected with him and, uh, you know, we started just kind of sharing some of our experiences and um, it was actually incredible that he had never heard about um, the work that um, Kiwoni Lapsaritis had put out. That's what I'm referring to that, that we were, you know, promoting. And uh, so he had never heard of those books. He had never seen a website or even heard that anybody knew of that, I say, you know, quote unquote theory, because uh, at the time it really was looked at more as a theory than a fact. And, um, you know, so once we connected, um, everything really just took off from there. Um, like I said, that was the seventh chapter that he had written at the time 
And um, so right after I read that and I published it, I, I um, didn't publish it in a book, but I published it on Facebook. I shared it around um, websites and things like that. And um, immediately afterwards, the Sasquatch really started to give him more messages to give. So he suddenly got really busy. <laughs> um, you know, they were guiding him, instructing him on the next um, messages that he should be transcribing. And the way that these come through, um, I can explain because I've, I've all, I also received messages from the Sasquatch and, and have transcribed them. I wrote 12 chapters of, of the third book in the series. Um, but I, I know a lot of people question how that information is really received, or even when you say, you know, it's a telepathic communication, it's still kind of hard to understand, well, how could a Sasquatch really be communicating in that way with those words? Because they're, they're very intelligent words and concepts that most people wouldn't expect Sasquatch beings to, to understand or to relate to. And so um, just to kind of briefly explain, like when, when these messages come through, at least for myself and, and from how Sunbow has described it, it's like a, a massive download of information. It's almost like as if you sat down and read a, a thousand books in a day or, you know, within a couple hours even. And so it's so much information to um, process and um, to disseminate. So, but once you're sitting down and writing or typing, it just seems to come out in a flow because the information has already been uh, received. Um, and quite often, you know, it can be in real time. Certainly you can write uh, in real time, but a, a lot of times, like I said, it comes in as downloads or almost like dreams. And then shortly after, um, you know, we're given the, the right guidance on how to um, interpret that and put it into human words because the way that it comes in is not usually in words. It's, it's images and pictures and things like that. So, um, hey, Kelly, you know, as, can I jump in yes. with a question? Sure. So the books were written basically with automatic writing where you're kind of tuning mm -hmm. in to them and they're giving you the information? Yes. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's happened um, for me in both ways. Um, automatic writing where it is instantaneous, like many times where they've said, sit down, grab a notebook and a pen and, and write this down, you know? Um, and so that is, in that case, automatic writing. Um, and that's usually kind of how it comes through. I can have some ideas of how I'm going to write it, but when I sit down to write it, nope, it just comes out the way that it wants to. And fortunately, it's usually, it's, it's, it's really beautiful. I mean, it's beyond my writing style and the way that I would be able to, um, really communicate the things that I'm writing about. So, um, and even sometimes I, I use words that aren't in my vocabulary, you know, so I know 
obviously that's automatic writing because I'm, I'm writing down a word I had no knowledge of, um, you know, and other times it comes in bits and pieces. It's almost like I take notes and compile that information, but even those bits and pieces are all divinely given to me. Yeah, I always, I've read a couple of the books and I always wondered how you as the authors and the publishers receive the information because it, it's very intricate. Um, but now I understand the process. So, but thank you for sharing that. Yes. Yeah, you're welcome. And, um, and it is an interesting process, even though um, I'm fully conscious and aware and in my body at the time, you know, that I'm writing it and my mind is active. I know what I'm, what I'm writing and what I'm doing. Um, it's funny because when I go back and reread something that even I wrote, I'm like, oh my goodness, I wrote that, you know, <laughs> like I, I, I know that I did, but uh, it's just very different when you see it, it in writing and then reread it and kind of relive that experience. Oh, I can totally relate to that because, you know, I write down my shamanic journeys and my meditations and my dreams and I go back and read it over and I forgot so many details. And right. that's why I think it's so important to write those things down because for some reason, the details don't stay with me. Um, right. I think that's true when you're connecting to spirit or Sasquatch or any kind of being like that. So you did have an encounter with Sasquatch in 2015, and you're going to share your story about what happened. So we'd love to hear that now. Yes. Okay. So it was um, well, it was actually 2015 that I connected with Sunbow. Oh, okay. My first, um, my first real Sasquatch experience that I, I want to share today uh, was at the end of 2012. So it was actually December uh, 13th, 2012. And, um, and I should back up and say prior to that, um, or it's actually more in hindsight now that I have a deeper understanding of everything. Um, I've had a connection with the Sasquatch people throughout my lifetime since childhood, really. Um, but I didn't understand it and I didn't recognize it for what it was. Um, but now that I have, you know, the, the deeper um, understanding of everything, I, I'm able to see that. But my first real connection that I was aware of and it was really it was, quite frankly it's the event that really changed my life um I don't somebody actually said this a couple days ago to me and I've never used this word before but I think it, it, it would be kind of accurate to say that this event that I'm about to share with you um was kind of a quickening for me because it changed everything it, it was literally like an overnight evolution of the soul um i i really changed and what really became aware of so much more that just was not a part of my reality the day before and so um how this happened so december 13th 2012 
um, I was, that was a period of time where I was um, doing some soul searching. Um, I can't say it was necessarily, you know, I wasn't involving myself in, in religion, but it was more uh, an understanding of cultures and ancient ways. And I wanted to know uh, my ancestors. I was even doing some um, digging into my ancestry and things like that. I'm part Cherokee. And so I was uh, really reading up on Native American culture, not necessarily just the Cherokee tribe, but um, the ways that they lived, their, their beliefs, the way that they, um, you know, worked with nature and everything like that. And so um, because I was moving more into that space, um, it was the right time for this event to occur. Um, I, I should also say that I'm um, gifted with, well, I, I'm not sure how to say it, but I'm, I'm quite the dreamer. I dream a lot. I have very vivid dreams. I have kind of um, premonition type dreams. And so at that time, I was also having some very active dreams that were um, unusual, not scary in any kind of way, but uh, I guess in my heart and soul, I knew I was waking up to something. And so the evening before this occurred, I actually had a dream um, where I was standing in the woods at, by myself, but it was like I was waiting for somebody and a, an unknown person walked out of a cave and said my name, said Kelly. And I looked at him and he says, I have something to show you. And then he started to walk into the cave and in the dream without asking who he is or what he wants to show me or, you know, being like, no, I'm not going into a dark cave with you. Um, I just did without any hesitation. I just followed him into the cave and then I woke up immediately. Um, but that dream was as short and as simple as it was. It was really profound to me. It was really real. I, I could, um, you know, my senses were able to take in every part of it. And I remembered it in such detail um, as if it had really happened. And then uh, the next day, so this is on the 13th, I, it was about 11 o'clock at night. I'm living in Arkansas at this time. And um, it was about 11 o'clock at night and I was just going to bed. Um, my ex and his son were actually out in the living room. They weren't ready for bed yet. And so I was going to bed by myself. And um, as soon as I laid down, the instant that I laid down, so I know I was not asleep. I was, I was very lucid. And um, all of a sudden, everything, like there was such strange sensations. First of all, I could hear something. I could hear this really large thing outside of the house. I couldn't tell what it was. You know, we didn't live near a train and we didn't really have airplanes flying by, but there was something large and huge with a big kind of whirring motor outside. And I could see um, lights shining through. I had a sliding glass door in the bedroom that was um, covered with drapes, but I could see some of the light coming through, you know, where, where there were cracks in the drapes. 
and um and then things started shaking as well and the um the window or i'm sorry the the sliding glass door was shaking a little bit and um but also things in the room i had a television in the room there was a picture frame sitting on top of it and that shook right off of it and fell onto the floor so um you know that was my kind of little indication there that all right this is really happening that had a you know that was a physical manifestation i'm not imagining this because that picture just fell on the floor and um so i wanted to get up to investigate and look outside and see what this was and um i couldn't i couldn't move i was frozen i was stuck to the bed i couldn't lift my arms i couldn't try to stand up i couldn't even lift my head and so i started kind of freaking out a little bit um not really freaking out, but just feeling concerned, like, uh-oh, what's going on? Why can't I move? This this is not normal. This is not an airplane out there. They don't have that kind of influence, you know? And um, so while I was sitting there kind of just starting to worry about, all right, what's happening here, um, I felt the presence. And in my mind's eye, I was able to see the presence of two different beings in the room. One was right beside me, kind of on the side of the bed. And uh, he was um, a man, but he was a little different looking, kind of a shorter man. And he had a really bulbous head. His light, his head was almost shaped more like a light bulb than it was a regular human head. Um, however, he still looked human, but almost an elfish kind of appearance. Um, you know, he's not somebody that you would say is a normal human being, for sure. And he was also wearing uh, an outfit that was unlike what humans would normally wear, um, almost like a an E.T. doctor look, you know, a large collar on him. And he introduced himself telepathically. To me because his mouth wasn't moving but i could hear everything that he was communicating he said that his name was jai and that he was here to help me and at the end of the bed kind of uh caddy corner to me um was a sasquatch and she didn't say anything i wasn't even sure at the time if it was male or female but the the feeling and the energy that i got from her um, was that it was female because she felt like my grandmother watching me, protecting me, kind of sitting at the end of the bed. And um, I don't recall or I don't, you know, remember if she said anything specifically, you know, telepathically to me. Um, but the message that I was getting from her was that um, it's okay. I'm, uh, you know, you're protected, you're loved. This is... Um, something that you signed up for. This is, um, you know, something for your highest good. Um, basically everything that I was experiencing at that time, I was uh, really reassured that um, this was meant to be and that this is really kind of a, a blessing. Um, and so I did feel that, I felt that energy, I felt that comfort, but at the same time, 
my human mind was still a little bit like, well, how come I can't move? And what are you doing to me kind of thing? Um, you know, so it was a little bit of conflict in my mind there, but I, I really quickly just went with the flow and eased right into it because the reassurance from the Sasquatch and from, from Jai, who had a very um, relaxing kind of energy to him, um, I just knew I was in good hands, even though I didn't know what the heck was going on. I also knew there's nothing that I could do about it anyway. So I might as well just, you know, go ahead and uh, take it all in and, and try to enjoy it as much as I can. So, hey, um, Kelly, yes. can I jump in? Sure. Um, so the being with that bulbous head, did you ever find mm -hmm. out? who he was or where he was from? Um, I believe in Andromeda. I'm not positive about that. I didn't ask him that. Um, but I'm I'm able to tune in to, you know, galactic energies pretty well. And that's what always comes back to me. That's just kind of the um, the the primary word that comes up when I think of Jai is that he's Andromeda. And is this so, the first and last time you've seen him or did he show up again at other times? No, that was, that was the only time I've ever seen him. Although I have kind of felt his presence in different groups, other encounters that I've had. Um, I, like I said, he's kind of a, um, his role would be kind of in medical in a sense. And so I haven't had to whatever he was doing that day and visiting was something I really only needed to partake in once. Um, but since then, um, when I have felt similar energy, um, I can feel kind of his etheric presence. So it's more like a soul collective instead of just him. Um, it's kind of like I can feel his energy and in, in this collective Andromeda healing energy. And you couldn't move. Do you think that was sleep paralysis? And why do you think that you weren't able to move while they were there? Well, I, I learned later and no, I don't, I don't feel, um, honestly, I'm not sure of what the exact definition of sleep paralysis would be, but I assume that it's probably while you're sleeping and I was not sleeping it was definitely not a dream um but at, at the time that this was happening um after i felt the reassurance that hey we're here for your highest good um i felt them physically well actually it was jai um the the sasquatch who i later learned her name is suni um she was just there kind of observing but um I started working on me and I could feel different parts of my body kind of being activated and worked on. And one of those things um, that took place at that time, actually something was um, inserted into me vaginally and it hurt very bad, but it also felt like a, um, you know, a necessary medical procedure. And so um, you know, at, at the time, I assumed 
after all of this that they probably either took some of my eggs or um, injected something. Um, I really didn't know. I just trusted and knew that what they said that this is for my highest good and that this is something that my my oversoul has basically signed up for. Um, you know, so. But after this, it, it was only just a few minutes that this occurred. And, and it wasn't, um, it actually was not really painful while they were working on me. It was a little uncomfortable and I could feel sensations, but it wasn't painful. But as soon as they were done and they left and they didn't really say too much of a goodbye, it was just more of a, a were done be well and they were just gone and um i didn't see them leave in any kind of direction or walk through a wall or anything like that they were just gone um and so once they were gone i was able to move and um i got up and i looked out the window where all this you know activity had been that i had seen um, and so I, I went to go look out the window or the, the glass door there, and there was nothing. Um, there was nothing. There was no signs that anything had been there. But um, also, there were two black ops helicopters that flew by really low above the house right at that time, immediately after they had left. And before I had even, I mean, it was as soon as I got to the window. And so that's unusual because I've never seen anything like that either. Um, but both of them flew in tandem right above the house. And I started to walk to my bedroom door to go out into the living room um, to see if the guys out in the living room had heard anything or experienced anything or, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to process everything that just happened. And as I'm walking to the bedroom door, um, pain is setting in, um, a lot of pain. And it, it reached a point, and this is really only a matter of a few seconds, but, but each step was more and more uh, painful. Uh, I got to the door, I, I asked the guys if they had experienced anything, and, and they're like, oh yeah, we just heard two Black Ops helicopters fly by. And I was like, oh, okay, good, you, you did. I was like, well, how about right before that? You know, did you see the lights or did you hear that big machine? They had no idea what I was talking about. They didn't experience any of that. Um, but the helicopters, they did. So anyway, I was just in so much pain. I put myself back to bed. I fell asleep immediately and I woke up um, without the pain. So it was really just a residual thing that had happened, you know, immediately after whatever they had done to me. Uh, and I just needed to rest and I woke up fine the next day, um, except I was completely changed. And I knew that what I experienced was not normal. Most people don't experience that. I knew it was otherworldly. I knew it was ETs. Um, uh, but I was still trying to wrap my head around that, um, you know, so it, it was quite interesting. And a year later, so that was really the beginning of this whole journey. Um, from there, everything 
really opened up to me. Um, that's when I, I also, um, you know, connected with others that were having Sasquatch experiences. And that's when my uh, Sasquatch and ET, but primarily at that time, um, it was Sasquatch. Um, they would call me out to different areas. Um, that's when I got to also further know Suni, who was at the end of the bed kind of comforting me. And she is like a grandmother figure. Um, she's actually so kind of, um, well, I, I don't know how to really phrase it, but she, like I said, I couldn't hardly tell if she was male or female. Um, because, I mean, typically, I guess you would think of a female as having feminine aspects, and she really did not, other than her energy, but what I could see of her physical appearance, which was in my mind's eye, um, but she was quite um, masculine looking, um, but I, I learned, of course, through her energy that, um, no, that she is a female, and actually even more so, she's a soul aspect of myself she is me and i am her or part of it anyway so um i guess you could say she's integrated with my higher self in a sense and um so a year later um after i had established a pretty good connection with the sasquatch and with other et beings and other um etheric beings um just like i said it was really like a quickening for me where so much opened up to me and i was able to start you know communicating with um archangels and other ascended masters and things like that and um so to kind of commemorate um the anniversary of that i was meditating at the same time i i waited till like 11 o'clock at night because i i wanted it to really be you know um the, at the same time and so i was um reading actually a book about uh or by yogananda paramhansa yogananda about karma and reincarnation and um he came his image in the book started looking at me like moving i could see yogananda moving in the pictures and the book and um and i went into this real deep uh meditation and different beings came to me um and they basically explained to me that a year prior that yeah this is an important anniversary they're grateful that i'm honoring it and all of this stuff and they told me that a year prior um, that they had healed me of cervical cancer, which I never knew that I had. I never had a diagnosis, um, anything like that. But they said that what had actually occurred on, on December 13, 2012, which I assumed was an egg extraction, and maybe that was part of it too, but really what that was all about was a healing, a real, a divine healing. And um, why they waited a year to tell me that I'm not sure other than maybe I wouldn't have really accepted it, you know, a year prior until I had had more experiences and was really able to, you know, truly believe that and feel that, um, you know, so it, it's, 
such a blessing and it, it's been an ongoing um, journey with them since. And, uh, you know, so after this, you know, obviously I learned that in 2013. And then in 2015 is when I connected with Sunbow and all of the Sasquatch messages started happening. Um, that was also at the time that um, the Sasquatch helped to guide in the idea of having events, um, what we call the Sasquatch family reunion. The, the name of that event has kind of evolved over the years as the event does, because it, at first it was a conference um, and then it was a retreat. And now the most appropriate name is Sasquatch Family Reunion because that's really exactly what it is. <laughs> the Sasquatch and the humans and other beings, you know, getting getting together to um, reunite. Um, a, a lot of them actually, well, now because of COVID, we don't have so many international guests as we did the first few years. Um, but there's people all over the world that are connected with um, Sasquatch type beings. Um, you know, it, we, we've had several in Australia that have relationships with the Yowie or they're called the Doolaga. They, they've got different names over there, just like they do here. Um, you know, the uh, Yeti in Russia, um, the Yiren in China. So there, there's many different names and they're all, Sasquatch-like beings, large, hairy people, but they're all culturally different as well. And so at these um, gatherings that we have, like the Sasquatch family reunion, it's not only, you know, the humans coming together and celebrating and learning from them and connecting and having a great time, but it, it's also them and their tribes. Um, some of them meeting for the first time. And so it, it really is a Sasquatch family reunion and, and those that are tuned into it um, have told some really great stories about uh, you know just their behavior when um, when they've when they attend these things too sometimes they'll act silly or they'll they'll pull little pranks or they get really curious you know they've never seen a human that looks like this or they've never seen a, a sasquatch that has that knowledge or uh, you know, maybe never saw a bag of potato chips or something like that. And they get uh, really curious about it. And um, it's, it's fabulous to hear everybody's stories and the way um, that they perceive that and the, and the experiences that they have with their Sasquatch interacting with others um, and things like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's really been a really amazing journey. <laughs> So you've been communicating with them for quite a while now, so nine years. And what what is Sasquatch? Are they from this planet? Are they from another planet? Why are they here? Well, there's that's kind of a loaded question there too, because there's so many variants, really. Um, Sasquatch is a really broad term that I'm using to describe. Um, many large hairy people or what we think of as forest people um, but there's so many of them and there's different hybrids of them there's there's some that are more human um, they do have 
they're basically they're 99% human. We share the DNA 99% on the maternal side. Um, they are human, and then they are 1% something else that scientists can't identify. It's, no, it's nothing of this earth. And so they're unsure of what that 1% is, um, but that's basically it's star DNA. And so there's some planets that um, they may have originated from. Uh, there was a, a, a planet that's now been destroyed um, called uh, Maldek. And that's where they say that a lot of them, where a lot of that race kind of originated. Um, but just like humans, they have, you know, um, there's just so many different hybrid races. There's many different um, ET geneticists that have used DNA from so many different be beings to splice them with others. Um, you know, so there's really not anything consistent to say about who they are because they're all a little bit different. Um, some are more ape-like, uh, more, you know, primate-like. Some are more human-like. Um, some of them, the, the Sasquatch say that they were also created on Earth. They're, they're now basically the ones that are physical are on Earth. But because of the abilities that they have, um, they're able to change their frequency and their vibration and, and they can time travel and, you know, hop through different dimensions and things like that. So um, it's hard to really consistently say where they're from or where they reside because it's all different. But the ones that are more earthbound, um, they really love this planet the the um their genetic makeup now is that they are you know forest beings they're they're able to handle the climate um and everything of earth even more so than we are you know they're strong and they're huge and they're hairy and they're able to regulate their body temperature and um you know they're able to forage for food so much better than we can and us you know humans we're pretty weak in all of those departments you know um we wouldn't survive out in raw nature as well as they would so they're they're really like the first mammal people um that were seated here on earth in, in the um, message to humanity books, they kind of explained how, um, you know, th through the long evolution on earth that there's been different beings that have come before them, uh, before the mammal people, before the humans. And so when earth was early um, in its inception, it was uh, the, it was almost all water. And so the the first most intelligent life, or I guess you'd say the the most conscious beings that were um, on this planet and habits, um, it were the uh, the fish people or the mer people. And so um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were mermaids or like humans walking around with fish heads or something, but they were able to adapt. Um, to the water planet much better and you know most likely had gills and everything but they had their own kind of consciousness and then over time uh, the fish people 
evolved into the lizard people and then into the ant people and then into the bird people or i'm sorry i got that backwards actually that ants or the um insectoids were first and then the reptilian people and then the bird people and then um the sasquatch were the first mammal people and so the humans um, are basically a hybrid of them. Um, but they also explained at one time that uh, they, in order for these geneticists to create beings, they have to use a native species to the current planet. So uh, a lot of the Sasquatch that are incarnated today, and this isn't exclusive, but um it's you know fairly consistent that uh, many of them are made with pleiadian dna um and they were also spliced at one time with a, a giant lemur that resided in lemuria or in mu there was a, a species of a giant lemur and so they took the dna uh from that giant lemur and helped to create the sasquatch race so I don't um, remember they, the name of the DNA scientist that actually studied the Sasquatch. Do you remember her name? Yes. Yeah, I do. That's Melba, Melba Ketchum. Yeah, yeah. so and that's exactly done, what she said Sasquatch was. Yes, yeah. yeah. and, and she's done some really fantastic work there. Um, you know, all of her findings are great, but unfortunately, because, you know, so many scientists, um, you know, they, they want things to really fit in this perfect little box. So they don't, um, a lot of them don't accept her findings, even though <laughs> they're scientific findings. It's, it's just, if some, if some things can't be explained you know beyond a shadow of a doubt then they just kind of toss it out the window and say it doesn't exist but but what she found is that um yes the same thing that um and she used um hair samples primarily i think that she had some feces samples as well um but I know that she tested several different hair samples that were sent into her. I sent in uh, a couple different hair samples as well. Um, and I do remember her saying that the hair follicle had to be attached in order for it to be an accurate reading. Unlike humans, you can, mm -hmm. you can read the DNA with human hair, no problem without the hair follicle. But for some reason with Sasquatch, they, they have to have that attached. And so they didn't have a whole lot of like really perfect samples to use, but those that they did um, consistently showed that they are 99% human and 1% something else. Um, and the scientific name that was given to them through her studies there is Homo sapien cognatus, which means human relative. So, yeah, and, um, you know, so that's really awesome that that science is there, even if not all scientists accept that, um, it's there, the, the information's out there, and they're definitely, you know, a largely human, and that's also why they are the race of beings that are able to kind of help us 
the most. Um, not that, you know, of course our, our, our star connections, our ancestral connections to, you know, e even ancestors and other lifetimes, but of course our, our star DNA or, you know, where we're from, um, of course that has an effect and influence on all of us, but the Sasquatch, because they are the being that's most closely related to the human, um, that's how we're going to be able to just kind of relate to them more. We're able to see and feel that connection and they really have the experience of you know living on earth um and we are in very dire times right now um you know the state of the earth and how everything is going and they really want us to know and understand that we have to um you know it's it's our responsibility to evolve ourselves and to um you know, just start kind of living in the old ways and to set aside fear. And, um, you know, they want us to really understand our, our multi-dimensional nature and all of these different realities that exist around us. You know, there's, there's so much uh, to really go into, but um, they are some of the beings that can really be our primary teachers in that area. So you said there were several or diff different kinds of Sasquatch on the planet. Are they all friendly toward humans? No, <laughs> no, they aren't. It's just, um, just like humans, you know, some are friendly, some aren't. So um, they have been, you know, some of them have trauma and, and karmas that they're carrying around um, just like humans do. So, at one time, um, the humans were much more interacted, uh, interactive and connected with the Sasquatch. We used to work together more, especially when it was more, you know, of the, the native tribes and things like that. They would actually get together and, and trade foods or, or learn different things from each other. Um, and so, but a lot of that uh, has ceased. It was it was dwindling, dwindling, dwindling. And uh, you know, by the time humans became what we know humans to be today, you know, primarily, um, a lot of that um, has just ceased. Um, but many of them kind of hold on to that anger, that trauma, you know whatever that is. And so some of them um, may not care for humans at all, and they just don't want to interact with us. Um, there's very few, some, you know, there's been a lot of reports of Sasquatch attacking people or kidnapping them or eating them and things like that. Um, most likely those are different kinds of beings and not really the Sasquatch. Um, because there are many different kinds of beings that are created with with different DNA. Um, and while there's also, you know, sanctions of, of light, uh, there's lots of sanctions of, you know, um, we'll, we'll put it in the way that, you know, some people are in service only for themselves and some people are in service to others. So mm -hmm. some of the, the, the service uh, to self beings might selfishly create different races for their own agendas. And um, so there have been some that are created 
to kind of be monsters. Um, and that's, it's really nothing to be fearful of. That's such a few and far in between uh, kind of thing. Um, you know, yet, of course, if something like that should happen, of course, it, it's going to be sensationalized. But for the most part, if Sasquatch um, take an attitude of not caring for humans too much, they're usually just going to leave them alone. They just don't want anything to do with them. They're not going to do anything to harm them. They're just going to really avoid them at all costs. Um, whereas in others, um, you know, it is kind of their sole mission to do this, like Camus, for example, um, you know, Camus is the eldest Sasquatch elder that um, communicated a lot of the messages to Sunbow and myself, and that's kind of his sole mission. That's what he more or less signed up for. Um, being one of the eldest elders, he has one, you know, he has a higher understanding. Um, he sees the greater picture of things and he's worked, you know, on his soul self enough to, you know, reach the point where he's able to be a, a teacher. And uh, that's the role that he took on. And so, um, you know, it, I don't necessarily want to say it's his responsibility, but it's, it was his mission to share these messages with us and so now we have you know this deeper understanding of it and there's other sasquatch that now that we're kind of re-establishing this connection between the humans and the sasquatch there's many more sasquatch that are stepping up to do these teachings or to work with with humans in different ways so um, Camus kind of really spearheaded it where they may have been a little bit nervous to work with the humans before they see this opportunity, um, you know, is growing to connect with us more. And, and likewise, it works, you know, vice versa. You know, 50 years ago, if somebody said they're going to go out in the woods and, and talk to a Sasquatch, everybody would say, like, you are crazy and you're not safe and you know everything like that and that's that's just not the case anymore as we evolve and um put ourselves in you know situations where we can learn and grow then well then that's what we do we don't have to to, to live in fear so um you know likewise sasquatch can can go either way there are different levels of consciousness just like we are so the genetic manipulation and the hybrids that you were talking about, is that by humans or by other star people? It's actually both. Okay. Um, yeah, the, there's star people. Um, you know, there's, like I said, there's a lot of different factions that uh, want to kind of take over Earth and take over the resources and even kind of take over um, human souls because it's energy and that's what they want. They, they feed off of energy, no matter, you know, what the source. And so, you know, and unfortunately there's always both sides of things and it's, uh, but the thing is, is that it's all an integration. You know, you can't have light without the dark you, and, you know, so it's all, um, you know, part of the balance, but so there, there are ETs that have created uh, these beings 
to help with their agenda and their plan. Um, but there's also humans, you know, uh, primarily the whatever label you want to give them, the lower lords, the cabal, um, you know, the elite, whatever label that you want to give them, but the, the very small percentage of um, consciousness on our planet that wants to take over and does not want to see humans succeed or live and things like that. Um, they are creating, um, they have, they have the ability to create these different beings, um, you know, to fit their agenda too. Uh, we've heard of people disappearing in parks and, you know, different things like that. And, uh, you know, the, the technology that humans have is a lot greater than what we realize it is. And um, a lot of that technology is in uh, the hands of military and things like that. So they would, you know, primarily be the ones that are responsible for, for doing those kinds of things. So you said, you know, Sasquatch is getting blamed for some of the missing people or people mm -hmm. getting hurt in the forest. What are the other beings that might be responsible? Well, they kind of go by different names. The, the Sasquatch have named a, a couple different names in the past. The one that's coming up for me right now, um, they call the Shampy, S-H-A-M-P-E. Um, uh, there was another name. Uh, I can't think of it right now. I've heard them use two different names. To, uh, what, one of them was the Koran people, Koran uh something like that, K-A-R-A-N. Um, and they are um, basically different beings that are built in the fashion of Sasquatch, you know, large, hairy animals that would, uh, or people that would dwell in the forest primarily. Um, but they have just different agendas, whereas the Sasquatch love nature and they love animals and they love earth and, and you know, that's their primary focus is living in harmony with it. Um, some of these other beings, you know, their primary focus is to hunt, hunt things down and eat them and kill them. Um, and the shampy is one of them. They, they, they describe the shampy as being tricksters. So, um, you know, I don't have a whole lot of really detailed information on that um, other than I, I've heard of different stories and different reports and then what the Sasquatch have kind of explained about it briefly, um, you know, but to be honest, I don't know of one single person, I don't know of one, one individual that can share a story like that that's legit. It's, it's, from my experience, it's all just been like kind of passed down stories, but nobody knows anybody that's ever been affected in that kind of way. You know, that doesn't mean that it hasn't, but it's, it's so rare that, um, you know, the, the sources of those stories um, are kind of, anyway, I, it's hard to explain, <laughs> but <laughs> Where, where, where are those sources coming from? You know, we hear all these stories, but who is the person that was chased out of the woods? Who is the person that was 
kidnapped who you know where's the family of the person that says they were eaten or whatever you know they're if if those were really happening you'd think that those would be some really big sensational stories that you would hear more about and you don't they're just almost all like written and oral stories so mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of it is really more fear driven than it is actual facts it seems like you know, people are having encounters with Sasquatch or some other similar type being, but they're so afraid of what they see and what they encounter. Right. And there might be a miscommunication on, you know, what's happening here. Like, you know, a lot of them say, oh, it, the Sasquatch growled at me, you right. know, and they take that as a threat, that that would be a threat to yeah. them. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that that happens quite often, too. Yeah, it's just your uh, people's perception of things, and, um, you know, we fear what we don't understand, and people don't understand the Sasquatch. They're big they're hairy they can look intimidating they growl they stink sometimes you know they might whatever hide your sunglasses or something you know sometimes they just play tricks like that but for for um you know people that don't know what they're experiencing or, or may not understand the innocence or the the motive behind it um of course they'd be really afraid um I know one person uh, that had reported, I, I actually don't know this person personally, but a, a researcher that was interviewing somebody that said that they were attacked by a Sasquatch, um, you know, that they said, oh, yeah, I was out in the woods and the Sasquatch, was, you know, tried to attack me. And so he, you know, they're asking for more details about it. And they're like, oh, really? Well, what what happened? And He's like, well, I was just standing there and it was walking towards me and I, I, you know, put my gun up to it and, but it just kept walking to me. So I dropped my gun and I ran off and it just kept walking. And it's like, and that, that's what, that's what he called an attack. Even mm -hmm. though he was, even though he was there, he was the one in fear. He's the one sticking a gun in this being's face. And just because the being is walking, it was an attack even though he mm -hmm. never laid a hand on him or even tried to. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've heard many, many stories like that. And it's just a lot of men out there that get really scared because they thought they were the apex predator out there, or they thought they were the big man with the big guns in the forest and they got handled a you know, handed a slice of humble pie, in my opinion. Right. <laughs> so you, you've been writing books and communicating and organizing conferences. And um, after almost 10 years of communicating with Sasquatch and star beings, what do you think some of the greatest lessons you've learned from being in communication with them? Man, there's been so many really great lessons learned and so many still to learn. <laughs> but um, I think really, 
you know, the biggest one is um, understanding um, our multidimensional nature that time and space really don't exist. Um, you know, that there, there really are no limitations. So even like, um, uh, you know, for example, I mean, we could talk about reincarnation when I'm talking about time and space, because we think in terms of our past lives, our current lives, and maybe even our future lives. Um, but it's all simultaneous. It's all just now. Everything is happening in the moment. And there's um, many different probability realities. Um, you know, so what's a reality for you and what's a reality for me could be different, but they're both true realities. And there's millions of those. Everybody has them. Um, and so it's, it's really kind of understanding um, this matrix of how all of that works. And then so much of it is, is real heart teaching, soul teaching, learning to be unconditionally loving and to honor and to respect things, um, to really, um, you know, I study nature personally, the Sasquatch it really showed me to study nature with everything. And I, I don't mean just like learning the, you know, the trees in the area or something. I mean, like really understanding the cycles and the seasons of nature, um, you know, when it comes to human behavior, but also when it just comes to, um, well, understanding the cycles of things, um, because that's also in, in the bigger picture, that's how things work too. You know, we're, 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 we often think of things in just this lifetime, right? Like things, oh yeah, okay, so things might last 80, 90 years, and you, you know, see these cycles, but no, it's, they go on and on and on and on, and we keep reliving these cycles and these seasons no matter what form that that we have taken on um the earth has these cycles and seasons and so we shift and change with her cycles and seasons and and she shifts and changes with the cycles and seasons of the other celestial bodies that has you know that that they're all influencing each other and so it it goes so much deeper uh and grander than all of that and it's almost hard to to really describe it um in words so those are some of the the real biggest lessons but um you know learning to trust learning to not have fear and learning to really see the divine light and order and everyone and everything, everything is perfect as it is. And um, that's probably the hardest because I'm pretty sure almost every human sees lots of imper imperfections in their lives or in, you know, whatever it might be in material things or the uh, events of the world and all of that right now. I mean, it, it appears that you know, Earth isn't quite a mess right now, but really it's all absolutely perfect. And it's all exactly how it's meant to be right now. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on today. I definitely learned some things and Sasquatch is one of my favorite topics. I'm always fascinated by them. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be here.
And I want to thank all my listeners out there. Again, if you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.